Hello, welcome to the All Out Politics podcast. I'm Adam Bolton. Joining me this week, the writer and founding member of Don't Divide Us Now, Dr. Rakib Ehsan, uh, the uh, Labour councillor, Shaisa Aziz, who started a petition calling for racists to be banned from football matches in England, uh, the journalist and author, Yasmin Alibi-Brown, and Sky's chief political correspondent, John Craig. This week, uh, we'll be discussing politics and racism in this country, two issues which have come together uh, following the online abuse received by some of England's footballers after the weekend's disappointment and defeat by Italy uh, in the final of the Euro 2020 Championship. It's uh, led to some searching questions uh, for politicians over their positions on taking the knee and what they've said in the past. And one player, Tyrone Mings, challenged the Home Secretary directly on social media. This week, the Runnymede Trust published a report suggesting racism is still systemic in England and that people from ethnically diverse backgrounds still face inequalities across health, the criminal justice system, education, employment, immigration and politics. Uh, We'll also look at uh, how all this affects uh, minority ethnic communities in which parties they choose to support at elections. Let's go back now to the reaction to uh, the online social media attacks on the three players uh, who didn't score penalties in the final shootout. For some of them to be abused is unforgivable, really. We, I think, have been a, a beacon of light in bringing people together, in people being able to relate to the national team. And the national team stands for everybody. We've got to look at the roots of this. There's been so much division in this country over the last two or three years through the way in which Brexit was debated, not Brexit itself, the actual way in which it was debated. It promotes division. The taking of the knee over last month when the players tried to explain it was to promote equality and be against racism was ridiculed by our top-ranking government officials. Well, uh, that last there was... uh... Gary Neville following uh, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, of course, Gary Neville, now a commentator, former player, linking it very much in his view uh, to the policies and words of the current government. This is how uh, ministers responded. And Mr Speaker, I also want to take this opportunity to condemn the shameful racism experienced by several members of the England team after the match. Racism has no place in football. It has no place in our society. And I know the whole House will agree that we must always show zero tolerance to this appalling behaviour. Social media companies in particular have a clear responsibility for the content that they host on their platforms. And they can no longer ignore some of the appalling, vile, racist, violent and hateful content that appear on their platforms. To those who have been directing racist abuse at some of the players... I say shame on you, and I hope you will crawl back under the rock from which you emerged. However, those statements uh, which we heard there in order from Sajid Javid, Priti Patel and Boris Johnson uh, were not enough to satisfy Sir Keir Starmer when it came to Prime Minister's questions. Does the Prime Minister think that it was wrong to criticise the England team's decision to oppose racism by taking the knee as gesture politics? I repeat that I utterly condemn and abhor the racist outpourings that we saw on Sunday night. And so what we're doing is today taking practical steps to ensure that the 
football banning order regime is changed so that if you are guilty, Mr Speaker, of racist abuse on line of footballers, then you will not be going to the match. No ifs, no buts, no exemptions and no excuses. Mr Speaker, I'm sorry, that just won't wash. And it rings hollow. On the 7th... Remind the Prime Minister in the House. On the 7th of June, the Prime Minister's spokesperson said this. On taking the knee, specifically, the Prime Minister is more focused on actions rather than gestures. On the 14th of June, on the 14th of June, the Home Secretary said, the Home Secretary said, I just don't support people participating in that type of gesture politics. The Conservative MP for Bassett Law called it a ridiculous empty gesture. So there's no point of pretending that these things weren't said. The England footballer, Tyrone Mings, he said this, labelling anti-racism messages as gesture politics served to stoke the fire of racism and hatred. Prime Minister, they're powerful words from someone who has himself been subjected to racist abuse. He's right, isn't he? Mr Speaker, I, I want to reiterate our, our, my support, our support, our total support uh, for our fantastic England team. And I, I support them in the way that they, uh, they show solidarity with their friends who, who face racism, Mr Speaker. But when he talks about uh, the Home Secretary, and let me just remind him that uh, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has faced racism and prejudice all, all her career of a kind that he can never imagine. And she has taken practical steps to get black and minority officers into the police in record numbers. Well, uh, obviously some fairly heated exchanges there. Uh, let's go to you first, uh, Yasmin Alibi-Brown. What, what do you make of uh, the week's uh, events? Uh, has it been cathartic? Are we now in a better place in the UK body politic than we were uh, a week or so ago? I don't think so. I, th- I mean, I do think... Uh, the the outpouring nationally um, and the support for these three young uh, gifted and black footballers has been incredibly important in affirming. But I think, uh, as as has been noted, that for the last four or five years, I feel I came in 1972. I saw a huge change in this society over the decades. It'll be 50 years next year when the Uganda nations arrived. And of course, Preeti Patel is of that uh, heritage. And I feel very strongly, and there's so much evidence from independent sources, like the Institute of uh, Fiscal Studies, Runnymede, so on, that racism is back again, but it's also raw and visceral, like it used to be. Um, and I think it will take a generation now. And because these, this government has deliberately, it is completely true, they systematically and almost deliberately activated division. And we're seeing the result. What do you think, Dr. Hassan? I think that in terms of the question of are we in a better place than a week or so ago, we're not. Uh, I think that our multiracial England team, they went on a fantastic run to the Euro 2020 final. And it was almost it was almost as if a, a wave of solidarity had swept the nation. But now we find ourselves yet again as a nation in the middle of a bitterly polarising debate on race. I think for me, uh, focusing on the government, the government has been sleeping at the wheel 
when it comes to the matters of racial discrimination. Interestingly, the Seal, the Seal report, which, uh, which created a fair bit of controversy, it did have as one of its recommendations that tackling anonymous online racist abuse should be treated as a public policy priority. So many of the statements that are coming from the government now, it, it feels all a bit too reactive. I don't think they've shown uh, a proactive spirit in terms of tackling this kind of uh, racist abuse online. Uh, it's very interesting that traditionally I view conservatism uh, having law and order at the, at the heart of it. That if we have a conservative party which has its largest parliamentary majority since 1987, it, it has plenty of uh, power available to it to introduce new laws, to uh, introduce stiffer uh, sentencing. Um, stronger penalties towards those who are found guilty of racially motivated offences. So I think that the government should focus a bit less on this culture war that some of its politicians talk about all too often and actually deliver some robust anti-racist policies as the ruling party in this country. And Dr. Aysan, why do you think they haven't acted on those policies, as you say, even though the SEAL report was widely criticised, uh, it did have recommendations, but they haven't been acted on yet. Well, I, I feel that the government, it, it's talking about this culture war that's taking place in the country. Uh, I've heard critical race theory being talked about a great deal by government uh, politicians. But really, I think the focus should be on what are the main problems um, associated with racial discrimination in the country and how we can tackle uh, forms of prejudice in the labour market, uh, healthcare, uh, in the education system. And, and I think there's very important discussions to be had. So I think that the government, to an extent, it has been distracted. And what, and what, and what do you mean really when you, when you on... mention critical race theory? What well, is it? when we're talking, about, we're talking about, for example, the, uh, the influence of critical race theory and particular ideologies in the education system, I think, to be honest, the government should just focus more on improving educational standards in the most deprived parts of the country. I think that would be the first real step that we need to do um, in Britain, because the reality of the matter is there's, uh, there's, there's communities across Britain of various um, ethnic compositions where the education systems and schools, they're bursting at the seams. They're chronically under-resourced. The government has been talking more about the kind of ideologies, the values of the teachers, when in reality it should be concentrating on ways on how to improve educational standards and the level of resources available um, to schools. So that's what I mean. I think the government should really focus on the bread and butter of governing the country and trying to create a more meritocratic society as opposed to being distracted um, in being involved in all these discussions on culture wars. Can I just come um, in, uh, Adam, okay, on yep. that? I think I completely agree with that. But, I, I, you know, for me, these culture wars are an absolute distraction when, as you know, the bread and butter stuff uh, needs to be done. But also now I also suspect that blaming the, the uh, tech giants is another distraction. Mm. Actually, this government has systematically created this enormous um, division between seeing between the working in the working class for example talking about white working classes not black and brown working classes who have a united class interest and now to blame these guys you know to blame facebook is really convenient and we saw boris johnson doing it 
the real stuff still needs to be done. Even the most highly educated black and Asian people are not getting the opportunities or pay in this century that they should be getting. Okay, I want to come on to that, but I do do want to uh, uh, go to Shaisa Aziz because uh, if Boris Johnson is is trying to make up for the past, if you like, one of the things you wanted was to see uh, racist fans banned from going to football matches. Well, that that's what he said he was going to do in Prime Minister's questions, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, first of all, they're not racist fans, they're racist. We should be really clear about that. Secondly, um, I do welcome uh, Boris Johnson standing up yesterday and first of all, saying racism does exist, which is very important, given what my, the, the, you know, the contributors so far have said. And then, yes, he did make a commitment to ensuring that racists are banned from football matches. Now, at the moment, it's a commitment. So we need to see an action plan. Uh, we need to know how long this is going to take. Quite frankly, it's, it's staggering that it's not in place already. And also, I think um, your, your point, Yasmin, uh, is very important, which is you can't just go and dump this all on the tech companies obviously they have a role to play they have a massive responsibility these are multi-billion uh you know um billion billionaire type companies so they've got a role to play but online abuse is not just um happening in a vacuum it translates on in real life as well and you know those of us who um are the children of immigrants in this country you know we we were raised to be terrified uh when england was playing because we understood that it was not safe for people of color to be out on the streets and sadly um, you know, I'm not going to say we've got a complete return to that, but we do have people who feel very terrified when England are playing because they believe that, you know, they're not safe when people use being drunk as an excuse to go out on the streets and start racially abusing people and, and physically attacking them. Um, I'm one of the individual women involved in setting up this petition. And after the final whistle on Sunday, um, obviously I was devastated as a big football fan and England fan, but I was more devastated when I woke up the following morning to see the absolutely horrific abuse being dished out to England players. Um, after the final whistle, my cousin contacted me, okay, two minutes after the final whistle to say, my hands are shaking as I write this to you. My neighbours are outside using the N-word to describe our heroic England players. And then she sent me a voice recording of her basically shouting at her neighbours, telling them to move away from her house because she doesn't want to her children to hear this language. She's not the only individual. When I've spoken to people of colour, many of my friends, they've described these similar situations. We all knew when the final whistle went that these three young men would come under attack because of the color of their skin. I think this government needs to do far more, and I believe it's been absolutely gaslighting minorities for a number of years, but especially in the last year and a half, uh, during the reinvigoration of the Black Lives Matter movement, the so-called culture wars have gone into overdrive. And let's not forget, we're having this conversation during the midst of a, of a pandemic where disproportionately working class Black and ethnic minority people are dying in droves as are medical professionals. This is all to do with structural racism. The time has come for us, all of us, to come together and to really, really, really start digging deep and working together. This is not a, a party political issue for me. This has to be cross-party. We've got to get things moving in the right direction. People are looking at this country and asking what the hell is going on over there. Meanwhile, we've got a government that continuously has been telling us that everything is fine, you minorities, you never had it so good. You've got to stop with your victimhood narrative. You know, you need to be more proud of who you are. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have um, all of this going on. And then our national heroes being attacked in this way, it's absolutely disgraceful. John Craig, 
there has clearly been an evolution in the official position of the government. Uh, why has it been so hard for uh, not just the Prime Minister, but for MPs as well, to see this in straightforward terms? Well, I think they misjudged uh, the mood. They got it badly wrong to start with. When um, Priti Patel gave that interview talking about gesture politics and said, well, it's up to fans whether they want to boo or not and didn't condemn them, I think that was a terrible blunder. And I think, uh, and, and of course, at PMQ's, uh, Keir Starmer read out a, a briefing from the number 10 press spokesman. Um, number 10, to be fair, did change tack on that when they realised that it was uh, that, that stance was backfiring. Um, but I think some uh, people are, are questioning this week, have the Tories become the nasty party again? That famous phrase used by uh, Theresa May in a week when uh, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor ordered the Conservative MPs to vote against uh, vote for aid cuts as well. Um, the, um, the Ty- Tyrone Mings also won. Uh, it's not just ministers and the number 10 it backbenchers uh, during uh, PMQs. One Tory MP, when uh, Keir Starmer mentioned Tyrone Mings, one MP shouted, Conservative MP shouted, he's a Labour Party member. I have no idea whether he is or not. Apparently and I don't think Keir Starmer. Actually. Yeah, I don't think Keir Starmer knew either. Um, and it, I mean, you've got the crass. MP for Ashfield, Lee Anderson, um, saying he was going to boycott watching England because they were taking the knee. You had Natalie Elphick, the MP for Dover, um, in a WhatsApp message to, I assume, to conserve fellow Conservative MPs, saying that Marcus Rashford um, should have... Uh, uh, sort of, sort of practice his football skills more than political campaigning. I mean, there no doubt there is no doubt that Marcus Rashford, a lot of Tory MPs don't like him because, of course, he caused the government some embarrassment with his uh, school meals campaign. Um, I, I was, I was like everybody else, appalled to see what um, um, what some of the things that were being said um, on Twitter and elsewhere. And, and also, I thought it was pretty horrible, what, the, the attitude of some Tory backbenchers. And I must admit, I was on duty on Monday evening when the ty- and did the, the, the Tyrone Mings clash with, uh, um, with uh, Priti Patel for Sky News. Clearly, he was very hurt. Now, Tyrone Mings, uh, I don't know if everyone knows, there was a meeting between uh, black players, some black players and uh, Tory ministers. I think it was Oliver Dowden and Priti Patel some weeks back. So Tyrone Mings was one of the... Uh, uh, one of the footballers who went along to that meeting. So clearly, he's a, a young man who feels strongly about these issues, as does um, Marcus Rashford. I think what we are seeing, it's what, one change we are seeing, more, I think footballers are perhaps more socially aware, more prepared to get involved in uh, political controversies now. Um, I mean, Marcus Rashford's not the only player who's helped out with things like food uh, food banks and so on. I think I'm right in saying that Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool captain, has been involved as well. Uh, and I personally think it's a, gr- a, gr- a great thing that footballers who are role models for young people are getting involved in those sort of campaigns. And it's pretty horrible when Tory MPs then criticise them for it. Well, one of the reasons why these footballers are now much more closer to the people is because they are of the people. You know, there are a number of England football players who have been raised by single mothers in some of the toughest 
council estates in this country. And you know, it's been well documented. Some of their mothers went to, to sleep hungry so their kids could eat. Um, and they have lived experience of racism. They understand what's going on in this country because they are of the people, as opposed to the politicians, who overwhelmingly are not of the people and seem very far removed. Which is why I think this has come as such a surprise to them that there's been this level of outrage and anger towards you know, the stoking up of hatred and, and bigotry uh, from, you know, public figures in this country uh, and, and the outpouring of solidarity towards our, towards our football squad. I think there's something quite straightforward to be said and, and, and well done, actually, Shesta, for starting this, uh, this um, petition. I'll be supporting it. Um, but when you know, John has been describing the reactions of the Tory party, but I actually want to say this, that there is unaddressed, absolutely lethal uh, prejudice, racial prejudice, bubbling away in this party amongst many of its elected people, not all, and the many of the members. And, and we all know this, and there has been no attempt to address it, particularly the anti-Muslim racism. And secondly, I don't want to let Keir Starmer off the hook. He too has equivocated on all of this, right? He took anti-Semitism quite rightly very seriously. There has been nothing on so far no acknowledgement of racism within the Labour Party. And, and I think he's failed, frankly, to be the counterbalance he should have been. Well, in Prime Minister's questions, uh, Yasmin, uh, you'll recall that Boris Johnson produced that Labour leaflet from the Battle in Spen by-election um, when I think Labour, didn't they have a, a picture of Boris Johnson with Prime Minister Modi of India? And uh, they were accused of dog-whistle politics then. Well... Um, that was probably not Labour's finest hour either. Dr. Asan, do you think, uh, and following on from what Yasmin's just been saying, that, that we are missing something, that in a sense, when, you know, vile abuse is reported on Twitter, it is very easy to condemn it, for everyone to condemn it. But that doesn't actually address whether, you know, there is underlying you know, prejudice and, 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 and racism, you know, perhaps concentrated particularly in the Conservative Party and perhaps to a certain extent its core of voters do respond to it. Well, I, th I think that the cons some of the Conservative Party representatives need to have a hard look at themselves, if I'm being completely honest, in terms of how they manage the whole situation. We had Lee Anderson, the MP for Ashfield, saying that he wouldn't even watch the England games because of taking the knee. Now, OK, if you think that there's a more inclusive alternative, propose that. We live in a free democracy. But the idea that you wouldn't even watch your own country play because the players are taking the knee is astonishing. And then we had Natalie Elphick, the MP for Dover and Deal, saying that Marcus Rashford should focus less on politics. If, if, he, if, he, if he did, he'd take better quality penalties. I mean, the idea that Marcus Rashford missed the penalty because he's been focusing on child poverty in the United Kingdom, it's a very hot take, to say the least. Uh, and then, uh, just getting away from the Conservative Party, but uh, Lawrence Fox, the Reclaim Party, suggested that he'd support countries such as Croatia and the Czech Republic because he was that upset with England players taking the knee. Now, OK, if people are, have reservations over um, the knee taking and its associations with the BLM movement, fine. But the idea 
that you would support countries from the Balkans and Central Europe against your own country over that. I think that it just shows that on the political right, which is traditionally seen to be patriotic, you know, strong sense of national pride, we're having politicians either boycotting watching their own football team or suggesting that they'd support other countries against England. So I do think there needs to be a serious period of introspection um, within certain elements of the political right in Britain. And I think yeah, there is yeah. some unease. I, just briefly, Adam, uh, there, there is some ease among some MPs. And uh, you'll know that during the week, um, Steve Baker, who is the uh, MP for High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire, um, uh, criticised the, uh, the Tories for their reaction to Black Lives Matter and said, uh, said there needed to be a bit of a rethink. I think there are some MPs who are concerned about the, the way the direction the Tory party is going. I mentioned the aid vote uh, during the week. I think, you know, this is another issue, really, where you can argue that uh, the Tories, well, some their critics will say Tories don't care enough about um, uh, poor people uh, and starving people, sick people in, in what we tend to call developing countries. And, you know, there was, uh, uh, Theresa May spoke eloquently during that debate, as did one or two others. Um, is that there's a trend, really, the way the Conservative Party is going. Now, the PM is making a speech about levelling up. Um, and there are some concerns inside the Tory party that the PM is um, uh, pandering, if you like, to some of those constituencies that they won uh, at the last election, the so-called red wall seats, and perhaps uh, ignoring some of their own base. It's a, it's, a, it's a trend. It's a direction of travel the Tories are taking, which is pretty different, in my view, from the uh, Cameron and, uh, and May years, and indeed uh, the John Major years, or even the Thatcher years, perhaps. Yeah, it, I mean, the Conservatives are certainly changing. In year 2000, there were no uh, minority ethnic MPs on the Conservative benches. Today, there are more than 20. And we do have the most diverse cabinet uh, ever with uh, uh, Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Priti Patel, uh, Home Secretary, Sajid Javid Health Secretary, Alok Sharma dealing with climate, Kwasi Kwarteng Business Secretary. Um, th that is something which, you know, the Labour Party has has struggled on, uh, isn't it, Shaisa? Absolutely, 100% it is. And um, there's no excuse for it, quite frankly. And anybody in the Labour Party who believes that racism is only something that the Tory party peddles and are also in complete denial and need to get a grip on themselves. Um, specifically, issues around Islamophobia have been brushed under the carpet, as, as the contributors here have already talked about. That leaflet and Batley and Spen was absolute disgrace. Pitting minorities up against each other is an absolute disgrace. And it's something that, uh, you know, politicians of all stripes are busy indulging in. Um, and when it comes to the roll call um, that you've just read out there, um, Adam, I think uh, representation is really, really important, but we have to ask ourselves what is going on with representation when you have minorities in government. So, for example, when Tyrone Mings wrote that very deeply painful tweet to Priti Patel and the response from Boris Johnson is, well, Priti Patel has been subjected to racism, it's absolutely disgraceful um, to go around kind of minimising a bl young black uh, man who has working class roots before he made it. Um, denying his painful uh, experience of racism by saying, well, my colleague over here, who happens to be, uh, you know, the same shade as me, a South Asian looking woman, um, has also suffered racism. That doesn't actually get you off the hook in terms of, you know, what 
minorities are capable of doing in terms of fanning the flames of bigotry. I'm responsible for what I say and do. Just because I'm a minoritized woman doesn't mean I, I get an opportunity to kind of uh, walk away from taking responsibility for what I'm saying and doing. I thought that was absolutely shameful. And it very much plays into how anti-blackness works as well in relation to minorities. So I think the Labour Party's got a ton of work to do. I'm not convinced it actually knows what it wants to do or that it's willing to do it, quite frankly. Um, and it is very um, telling that there are a very high profile members of the cabinet um, uh, in, in government who are people of colour. And when you look at the other side, it's not there. Um, and part of it, I think, is because um, on the left, a lot of people are busy um you know, kind of putting people into boxes and deciding who they are and where they should stay. And overwhelmingly, what happens in this country, and we've seen it with our footballers, is as racialized minorities, we are expected to stay in our boxes and in our lanes. And as soon as we move away from there, we're not reading the script and we become problematic and we need to be dealt with. So absolutely, I, I believe 100% the Labour Party has a lot of work to do. It needs to roll its sleeves up and it needs to get working. Do you think, I, I just want to look forward, if you like, uh, on this, and, and we've heard the mention, uh, Yasmin's done a number of times, of culture wars. What is the long-term fallout of this? Is it, in fact, that uh, the Conservative Party shifts its position, starts getting Asian and black voters uh, from uh, the Labour Party to the point that that really makes a big difference? Or is it, in fact, that... In spite of all the warm words, what we see is really a Conservative Party digging in with the white majority, if you like, uh, and uh, not uh, changing on these uh, uh, significant issues, partly because it's in their electoral interests. Um, uh, how do you see it, Dr. Esan? Well, well, I think it's, it's in the electoral interests now. Um, they've decided that there's a, a, a privileged, deprived constituency to which they will address all their attention. And that at times, their dog whistle politics um, are strategically used. It's not a mistake. They know exactly what they're doing. But I think also... Uh, you know, Mrs. May, who long ago talked about the Tories being a nasty party. And as John says, many of us think it is never not been a nasty party. It's just got nastier. That same Mrs. May was responsible for the horrendous Windrush scandal. So even a woman who seemed to be virtuous and, and seemed to understand, uh, you know, did stuff that was, I, I find today, unbelievable that it happened. Secondly, by 2050, around 40% of the electorate will be non-white. And if there's an existential crisis that the, the Tory party are not addressing, I think it's great, uh, you know, that they have these top people of color in their cabinet, the amongst the most powerful. But those are symbols. And what do they symbolize? They symbolize a particular class interest. That's the thing. You know, Priti Patel, Sajid Javed, um, and Ricky Sunak have the same economic advantageous background. I have no problem with that. We must vote for who we feel most akin to as minorities. But if they don't shape up, the Tories will lose very quickly 
any possibility of having the majority that they now hold, I think. Do you think that that, that is right, Dr. Asan? Well, I think that there was a recent poll which showed that the, um, the Tories were polling at 28% among ethnic minorities, which I thought was it's a pathetic figure. I, th- I think that the Conservatives should be doing a lot better among ethnic minorities when you consider the family-oriented values, communitarian spirit, sense of civic duty, uh, the, the kind of social traditionalism which, characterize, which characterizes many ethnic minority communities in Britain. The fact that some the Tory representatives were, were were congratulating themselves that they were on twenty eight percent, I thought it was profoundly depressing. Uh, I, I think, in partic- particularly, the, the, the Tories are still not very popular at all among British Muslim voters. But if you actually see, and I do actually think that the Conservative Party it doesn't truly understand many British Muslims in the country. Uh, when you look at survey data. The vast majority of British Muslims actually think that Britain is a good place to live as a as a as a Muslim. Uh, Britain's Bangladeshi and Pakistani origin communities have the highest rates of rates of British identification. So it's when you bear all this in mind, um, and along with the fact that the levels of anxiety um, over Islamist extremism, there's barely any difference between the general mainstream population and British Muslim communities in terms of how concerned they are by Islamist extremism. So I think that the Conservatives, and Yasmin obviously talks about those demographic shifts which are coming our way um, in the following decades. Uh, I think that they shouldn't be too pleased that they're only polling 28%. I think that they need to really understand that they should be performing a lot better. And the fact that they're only polling just around one in four, they have to really think about why is it as low as it is. I think that it's it's seriously underestimated its anti-Muslim problem within its internal party structures. And I do feel, I think even though there is a positive story to tell in terms of how Britain has progressed in terms of race relations, racial equality, I I do think that when it comes to the provision of anti-discrimination protections, um, Britain does fare better than other white majority multi-ethnic democracies such as France, Germany, the Netherlands. I I, I think we should guard against um, over uh, over self-congratulation on those kind of issues. I still think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, six in 10 black British people still feel that they live in a fundamentally racist society. And it's no good saying that this is just a figment of your imagination. That's not going to change the figure. It's still something that needs to be, it still needs to be addressed. Um, so I do think that the conservative, and I think even discussions about trying to create a more meritocratic society, that that's actually quite a classically conservative position. So in a sense, there's almost a potential to, generate an inclusive conservative anti-racism but the conservative party they're so involved in these petty cultural wars they're not really investing the energy and effort into those kind of discussions which could actually heighten its electoral popularity in communities which are traditionally quite anti-tory here's a thought though despite all the criticism of the tories record on race it is quite likely i would say that the next leader of the conservative party uh, is going to be uh, from uh, an ethnic minority background, an Asian background. I mean, as we know, Rishi Sunak is the favourite to succeed Boris Johnson at the moment. I would say that um, uh, Sajid Javid's return to the cabinet has probably boosted his uh, leadership uh, chances as well, uh, unless he makes a complete hash of the job of health secretary. Um, but he's proved already he's a fair, pretty able cabinet minister. He's had, what, six about six departments now. So... Um, I think, uh, despite everything, it's quite likely the next Tory leader will be 
uh, probably perhaps uh, Rishi Sunak or Sajid Javid. And of course, uh, that'll be another first for the Tories. They've already had two women leaders and two women prime ministers and Labour still hasn't had a woman leader, let alone an ethnic uh, minority person in, in a senior position uh, in the party. And Chais, uh, Aziz, are you worried that Labour could be losing its grip on, on majority of uh, ethnic votes? Well, I, I'm very concerned about Labour constantly talking about this mythical red wall that it's obsessed with. Um, so, you know, the dog whistle politics aren't just happening on one side, are they? Let's be honest about that. Um, I think the, overwhelmingly the politicians in this country really are sadly not overwhelmingly in tune with what's going on. So during the last election, I spent a lot of time in Dudley South, um, which is part of Labour's so-called Red Wall. Uh, it's a Brexit area, et cetera, et cetera. I went there. I'm, I'm a visible Muslim woman. I wear a hijab. All the people who wanted to talk to me, all the people who wanted to talk to me were white working class men who allegedly are racist, right? So I spent my time on the doorstep talking and listening to them. They couldn't stop talking to me. I was the only canvasser they wanted to spend most of their time with. Um, I felt perfectly safe and perfectly happy to be engaging with people. And that's the point. Unless we actually go out and start engaging with people, not lecturing them, not deciding we know who they are and what they believe in, but actually listening to them, engaging with people and ensuring that they have what they need to live a dignified life. Nothing is going to change in this country. And I feel what we've seen is really grotesque, lazy politics that have taken hold of this country. Um, a lot of naming and labelling people, which is getting us nowhere. And, uh, you know, this mythical uh, red wall, very much for me, it fits into the point that Yasme made earlier, which is the working class are multicultural. We always have been. There's never this whole thing about the white working class and you know the Muslim working. It's just all nonsense. And you know the sooner sooner the politicians in this country understand this, the better. Um, Labour traditionally has banked on the ethnic minority vote, and I think at times has believed that it will always get those votes. Why should it get those votes? Uh, uh, you know, when people talk about the Muslim vote. What is the Muslim vote? You know, pluralism exists everywhere. And I think we, I think there needs to be a far more sophisticated understanding of who who lives in this country, who is British. And we know the census results are out soon. This is going to be a wake-up call to a lot of people. Multicultural Britain is alive and well. Sadly, racism is alive and well as well. Um, final thing I'm going to end, uh, end on is, you know, yesterday in Parliament, I was overwhelmed at the number of MPs who were showing up to say that they, they were anti-racist. Well, that's great, you know, that they've suddenly decided they want to be anti-racist and all of them are lining up one after the other to tell us about their anti-racist credentials. Let's see, let's see those credentials in action now. Let's see them bringing people together, healing this country, offering you know, leadership that is going to actually change people's lives regardless of what colour they are, but frankly, dealing with the massive levels of racialized inequalities in this country that have been around for decades. On that note, uh, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks indeed to Dr. Rocky Besan, to Shosta Aziz, to Yasmin Alibi-Brown and to Sky's John Craig. Do remember you can subscribe to the podcast uh, and leave a review. Tell us what you think. We'll be back again soon. Thanks very much indeed for listening. <laughs>